0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from AntiWar.com. This is Anti-War News for Thursday, September 14th, 2023. All right, so the first story at the top of antiwar.com today, Russia has doubled its ammunition and tank production despite Western sanctions. So the New York Times reported Wednesday that Russia has been able to significantly ramp up its production of ammunition and other armaments despite Western sanctions meant to degrade the country's military industry. According to one senior Western defense official, before the invasion of Ukraine, Russia could produce 100 tanks a year. Now they can make 200. Western officials also believe that Russia is on track to produce 2 million artillery shells per year, twice the amount they estimated Russia could make before the war. So as a result of the increase in production, Russia can make more ammunition than the US and Europe combined. The U.S. and its NATO allies are working to bolster their production, but results are not expected to be seen for for years, for at least a few years. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg previously said that Ukraine was using artillery rounds at a faster rate than the entire alliance can produce. So a senior Estonian Defense Ministry official estimated that Russia's current ammunition production is seven times greater than the West's, and that includes the U.S. and all of its NATO allies, so seven times higher. That's pretty significant. And these figures really demonstrate how time is on Russia's side in this conflict, and you have, you know, the U.S. thinking that it can, uh, you know, outweigh Putin. In Ukraine, but I just don't think that that's going to be the case. And it also shows, you know, again, with these ammunition shortages that the US and NATO are having, you know, that really questions the sustainability of this, of them fueling this proxy war and keep, you know, dumping all this ammunition in. They might run out. And if you remember, that's the excuse that Biden and Blinken have used for sending the cluster bombs, which we know indiscriminately kill civilians. Uh, But that doesn't matter. They said, oh, Ukraine's running out of ammo, so we have to send them everything we got. It doesn't matter if this is going to kill or maim civilians, you know, years and decades down the line. So according to this New York Times report, U.S. and other Western sanctions targeting certain technologies, such as advanced semiconductors, initially hurt Russia's ammunition production, but Moscow was able to find ways around the sanctions. And Russia's economy has also adapted to the U.S.-led economic blitz, you know, the energy sanctions, because they found new markets to sell oil and other, you know, things like gas in Asia. Um, So it's just an example of how these U.S. sanctions, these Western sanctions on Russia have failed to meet their goals or what they said, what they hoped would happen, Um. All right, so the next one here, Ukraine hits Russian shipyard in Crimea with cruise missiles. So this was on Wednesday morning that Ukraine launched a barrage of cruise missiles at a Russian shipyard in Sevastopol, Crimea, damaging at least two warships and injuring 24 people. So the incident is said to be Ukraine's most significant strike on Russia's Black Sea fleet of the war. According to the Russian Defense Ministry, 10 cruise missiles were launched at the shipyard and 7 were intercepted. The ministry also said that 3 unmanned boats targeted a detachment of Russian ships in the Black Sea, but the drone boats were destroyed. So, According to Sky News, they spoke. they cited Western and Ukrainian sources who said that Ukraine used the British-provided storm-shadow missiles in this attack and storm shadows have a range of about 155 miles and can be fired by Ukraine's Soviet-made fighter jets. The UK first began supplying Ukraine with storm shadows back in May, and that was a pretty significant escalation of NATO support for Ukraine and you know involvement in this proxy war. So Ukrainian Air Force Commander Mykola Olechuk he confirmed that Kiev was behind the attack on Sebastopol, he wrote on telegram, quote, and while the occupiers are storming and they are still recovering from the night cotton in Sevastopol, thank you to the pilots of the Air Force of the Armed Forces of Ukraine for their excellent combat work, And quote. So night cotton apparently is some kind of slang for explosions that's been used throughout the war. Um, and then he also said something about storming there, which he put in quotes, so that's, you know, he's... Seems like he's hinting that they did use these Storm Shadow missiles, and you know this is the escalation risk. These missiles being used in attacks on Crimea, you know, which is a very sensitive area for Russia. It's it's a huge red line. The peninsula, as even Blinken has acknowledged, um, and this there's just always the risk that Russia one day decides to retaliate against NATO for things for attacks like this. Um, you know, no indication right now that Putin wants to take that step, but this is the risk this, the, you know, w- that comes with this. And the Russian defense ministry, they said they insisted that the two ships damaged in the attack will be fully restored and continue combat service in their fleets. And according to Russian media reports, the 24 people who were wounded all worked at the shipyard, which was a military facility. So a military naval uh, shipyard. All right, so the next one here, Russia's Putin and North Korea's Kim hold talks. So this article is from Kyle Anzalone over at the Libertarian Institute, and Kim Jong-un met with Putin on Wednesday in Russia, and they held talks aimed at deepening ties between Moscow and Pyongyang. So, both sides were very tight-lipped about the details of the discussions, cooperation in the military and space realm were on the table. So, Putin hosted Kim at Russia's Vostochny spaceport, and when asked if Russia would assist North Korea's satellite program, Putin responded, quote, that's why we came here, the leader of North Korea shows great interest in rocket engineering. They are also trying to develop space end quote. And I know North Korea has been trying to launch satellites. Um, Putin met with Kim for five hours, including a formal state dinner and a one-on-one discussion. The nature of most of the talks between the leaders is unknown. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said, quote, As neighbors, our countries implement cooperation in sensitive areas that should not be the subject of public disclosure and announcement, but this is quite natural for neighboring states. End quote. So Peskov added that no documents were signed at the meeting. So prior to Kim's state visit to Russia, American officials said that North Korea was planning to supply Russia with weapons for the war in Ukraine, and the U.S. is threatening sanctions if they do that, and, you know, who knows if they can even add more sanctions on North Korea um, at this point. But, you know, this is just an example of how the uh, U.S. policies are really driving all these countries closer together. If you remember, uh, the U.S. really leaned on South Korea to provide Ukraine with weapons to ship them artillery shells. um, And now you see North Korea growing closer to russia and and expressing a lot of support um for the russians you know in this visit saying that he's gonna you know stand with russia and and things like that um so we just see these new partnerships these new alliances being formed all right so the next one here romania says that drone fragments from ukraine war do not pose threat this is another one from kyle and this is uh the Romanians found more drone fragments. Um, Bucharest reported finding more fragments of what is to believed to be a drone in a region of Romania bordering Ukraine. The Romanian government continues to assert that debris from the war in Ukraine does not pose a threat. So while they're finding these fragments, which are likely Russian of Russian drones or uh, who knows, potentially Ukrainian air defenses, I guess that's possible, but they are saying they're likely drone fragments. And this is um, a result of the Russian bombardment of Ukraine's Danube River ports. Ukraine's Danube ports are just across the river from Romania. The Danube River acts as a natural uh, border between the two countries. And of course, Romania is a NATO country, so there's just always the risk of escalation. But after these uh, latest Debris was discovered. The Romanian defense minister said that they do not pose a threat. So, again, Romania is really trying to downplay the situation here. NATO is as well. While you had, you know, the Ukrainians really trying to play it up because they want NATO to intervene directly on their behalf. That's in their interest. So, always have to keep that in mind when we see claims from Ukraine. Uh, All right, so the next one here, the U.S. is clearing jungles in the Pacific for new airfields. So the head of U.S. Pacific Air Forces said Monday that the Air Force was clearing out jungles in the Pacific to build new airfields and restore old ones as part of the branch's preparation for war with China in the region. So the Air Force is working to expand its bases as part of a plan to become more mobile in the Pacific And they call this concept Agile Combat Employment. Pacific Air Force's commander, General Kenneth Wilsbach, said the Air Force is looking for more money to facilitate the military buildup. So he said this at a Air and Space Forces uh, conference that took place earlier this week. And he said, quote, we're going to be clearing out the jungle. We're going to be resurfacing some of the surfaces there, So that we will have a fairly large and very functioning agile combat employment base, an additional base to be able to operate from. And we have several other projects like that around the region that we'll be getting after this. That takes resources to be able to accomplish. And so those are some of the resources that I argue for when I go back to headquarters and quote, he said that the Air Force requested funds for additional construction in the Pacific for its 2024 military budget. Will Spock said that every new base in the region is a new area that China would have to target. So he said, quote, Every single additional airfield that I can operate from is another in a contingency or crisis or conflict is another airfield that China has to put into their targeting folders, and then allocate resources toward them, which dilutes their ability to shut us completely down, end quote. So he said this before, Will Spock, that that's the goal of this, of expanding uh, the U.S. military presence, specifically the Air Force, obviously, in this region, is that they want to give China more targets that they have to hit, that they have to worry about. And the Biden administration has been working to expand the U.S. military footprint In the region, this year, the U.S. signed a deal with the Philippines to gain four new bases, inked an agreement with Papua New Guinea to gain access to airports and seaports in the Pacific Island nation. The U.S. is also expanding its presence in Australia under the AUKUS Pact. So these countries, you know, should understand that what they are allowing is targets in a future war. Uh, That's what the U.S. is creating here. And Wilsbach also has his eyes on newer weapons and said the Air Force needs to modernize to face China. He said, quote, there's some modern modernization for some of our current, current platforms that are very critical for maintaining dominance in some of our mission areas because while we have been doing a lot of things in the Middle East for the last 20 years, China's been resourcing for near-peer competition, end quote. And as I went over yesterday, Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall, he spoke at the same conference and he made similar comments about how the U.S. has been busy, you know, wasting its time against terrorists uh, in the Middle East while China has been preparing for a war with the U.S., you know, in this region, in its backyard, over Taiwan, essentially. All right. So the next one here Chinese scientists make the world's most powerful radar chip. So this is an article from the South China Morning Post, and it's interesting. I think it goes well with the top story about the sanctions not stopping Russia's capability to produce weapons. Um, So it says Amid U.S. tech sanctions, Chinese scientists say that they made the world's most powerful radar chip. So a research team with a major Chinese defense company says that it has built a radar chip with a record power output using semiconductor technology that is subject of strict U.S. sanctions. The finger-sized chip can generate radar signals with with peak power reaching 2.4 kilowatts. It is one or two orders of magnitude higher than the performance of similar powered amplifying chips in most existing radar systems. Um, So very powerful. And again, so this uses technology that the U.S. is trying to deny China, that they put these export controls on, that they convinced other countries, the Netherlands and Japan, to also place export controls. And what the U.S. has kind of done unintentionally, even though, you know, it might have been obvious to some people, is that they've really sparked this uh, domestic Chinese, you know, semiconductor industry. you know, now instead of being more reliant on imports for this stuff, it looks like they're creating their their own uh, industry or, in, you know, increasing their own industry. Um, so it's just an example of how, the, you know, the U.S. is trying to use sanctions, with, which they can use to really hurt the economies of smaller countries. But they're trying to use this this tool against big countries like Russia and China, and it doesn't seem to be working out too well. Um So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, If you want to read more about that, go check it out at the South China Morning Post. Um, The next one here: Israeli airstrikes kill two Syrian soldiers. So more Israeli airstrikes in Syria. Uh, Syria's state media reported that Israeli airstrikes hit targets near Syria's Mediterranean seaport city of Tartus on Wednesday, killing two Syrian soldiers. So the report said that strikes targeted air defense positions and on top of the two Syrian soldiers that were killed, six more were wounded and there was material damage. So the strike was, uh, according to this military source, it took place at 522 in the afternoon, which marked a rare daytime attack as Israeli airstrikes on Syria are typically launched late at night or early in the morning. So by my count, this attack marks at least the 24th Israeli bombing of Syria this year. The Israelis frame their airstrikes in Syria as operations against Iran and Hezbollah, but they often kill Syrians, as they did here, and they damage civilian infrastructure. Um, They said this was a military target, but the last known Israeli airstrike in Syria was on August 28th, and that targeted the Aleppo airport and temporarily put it out of service for the fourth time within a year that they did that. Um, so Israel, you know, they never really comment on individual airstrikes in Syria, so they haven't said anything about this, which is typical. Um And I know I use Syrian state media, but from my experience, they're reporting on the Israeli airstrikes, if anything, downplays the damage and the casualties. Uh, Okay, so the next one here is some good news. Australian MPs urge the U.S. to drop charges against Assange. So a group of 63 members of Australia's parliament have urged the U.S. to drop the charges against WikiLeaks founder and Australian citizen Julian Assange who faces up to 175 years in prison if extradited to the U.S. and convicted for exposing U.S. war crimes. So according to The Guardian, the 63 MPs, which include members of Australia's House of Representatives and Senate, said in a letter that if Assange is extradited, there will be a sharp and sustained outcry in Australia. So Assange has been held in London's Belmarsh prison for over four years on no charges as the U.S. is trying to extradite and imprison him for publishing documents obtained by a source, which is a standard journalistic practice. So if Assange is convicted, it would have grave implications for press freedom in the United States and around the world since he's not an American citizen and the U.S. is trying to extradite him. So the Australian lawmakers said in the letter that they were, quote, resolutely of the view that the prosecution and incarceration of the Australian citizen Julian Assange must end, end quote. They expressed support for a cross-party Australian parliamentary delegation that is due to visit Washington next week to lobby for Assange's freedom. They said, quote, it serves no purpose, it is unjust, and we say clearly as friends should always... Be honest with friends that the prolonged pursuit of Mr. Assange wears away at the substantial foundation of regard and respect that Australians have for the justice system of the United States of America. End quote. So the letter is the latest sign that the Australian government is stepping up the pressure on the US to end its persecution of Assange. So this is good to see. You know, we've just seen a lot of this pressure. Uh, Blinken, he rejected Australia's concerns when he visited the country in July, Uh, but Canberra has refused to drop the issue, so hopefully we keep seeing more of this, and hopefully this pressure uh, does something. All right, so the next story here, the U.S. military resumes missions out of Niger bases. So this article is from the Associated Press. Just saw this right before um, I went to record. So the U.S. military has resumed flying drones and manned aircraft out of air bases in the Niger more than a month after a coup temporarily halted all those activities there. And this was said by the head of U.S. Air Forces for Europe and Africa. So since the July coup, the 1,100 U.S. forces deployed In the country, have been confined inside their military bases. Last week, the Pentagon said some military personnel and assets had been moved from the airbase near Niamey, which is the capital of Niger, to another in Agadez, which I believe is that big Airbase 201, the big, you know, $100 million drone base that the US built a few years ago. So in response to a question from AP on how the U.S. would was able to continue its counterterrorism missions without those flights, General James Hecker, the top Air Force commander for Europe and Africa, said that in recent weeks, some of those intelligence and surveillance missions have been able to resume due to U.S. negotiations with the Junta. He said, quote, for a while, they weren't doing any missions on the bases. They pretty much closed down the airfields. Through the diplomatic process we are now doing, I wouldn't say 100% of the missions that we were doing before, but we're doing a large amount of missions that we were doing before, end quote. Um, So this is kind of a sign, you know, we saw some reports saying that the U.S. was willing to work with the military junta because they didn't want to give up their military presence. So it seems like uh, at least the u s isn't really pushing for a military intervention to oust the the coup leaders um but you know it still could happen with ecowas and France has been more hawkish on this uh so only time will tell what happens there but unfortunately, you know i hoped i naively hoped that the end result of this coup would have been the u s and France just getting out of there and leaving them alone but of course that's a stupid thing to hope for. <laughs> Um, So it seems like the U.S. is happy to stay there and work with them. Um, So we'll see, again, if there's going to be still an intervention, ECOWAS intervention, because I think if it ultimately happens, the U.S. would ultimately back it. Um, All right, so the last one here, how the Navy spent billions on the the little crappy ship. So this is an article from ProPublica about U.S. Navy littoral combat ships. And they have a nice uh, summary at the beginning that I'm just going to read because this is a pretty extensive article. Um, but if you don't know much about these ships, they uh, are not, do not have a good track record. Um, so I'll just read a few of the key takeaways from this article. One Navy secretary and his allies in Congress fought to build more littoral combat ships even as they broke down at sea and their weapon systems failed. The Navy wound up with more ships than it wanted, at an estimated lifetime cost that could reach $100 billion or more. The Navy's haste to deliver ships took precedence over combat ability. Without functioning weapon systems, the vessels are like a box floating in the ocean, one former official said. Sailors and officers complained they spent more time fixing the ships than sailing them. The stress led many to seek mental care. Top Navy commanders placed pressure on subordinates to sail the ships, even when the crews and vessels were not fully prepared to go to sea. Several major breakdowns in 2016 exposed the limits of the ships and the crews, each adding fresh embarrassment to a program meant to propel the Navy into a more technologically advanced future. So just a big example of all the waste that goes into all this military spending that the U.S. does, um... You know, you get weapons systems like this that barely function. Uh, but that is it for the news for today. Please go check out our viewpoints. We have one from M. Reza Benham, Iran Interrupted, Mossadegh, the Shah Khomeini, and the U.S. Press. One from Jacob Hornberger, Why They Hate Us. One from John Anisha Whitehead, How the Government Weaponizes Surveillance to Silence Its Critics. One from Daniel Larison, ignore the threat inflation about Chinese overseas bases. And our spotlight is from Eli Clifton, NYT op-ed page obscures authors' Saudi funding. And that is everything. You could always help us out just by sharing the show, liking, subscribing on YouTube, all that stuff. Oh, one thing, sorry, uh, yesterday's show, I had to upload it late. I had some internet troubles, um, so I didn't put it up at the usual time. But if you ever notice, you know, that the show is not uploaded or it doesn't appear where you usually listen to it, whether it's the video or the audio, just check my Twitter feed because I'll usually explain what's going on there. Um, but all right. That's it for me for today. I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.